0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. So Tucker going to inbound on the sideline here. DeRozan gets it on the move. I like those inbounds plays that start with the guy deep. And now Snell is in to guard DeRozan. Nice help from Giannis. And they still have time here. Pick and roll. Lowry, tough step back on Brogdon and hits. Yeah, That's just a nasty shot from Kyle Lowry. And now Milwaukee is going to be in great difficulty.
0: I, I mean, this, the story of this last minute it is milwaukee got three looks at shots two of which were clean one of which was not they went zero for three toronto had harder looks and made more of them
1: that was our twitter nba show call as cal lowry iced the game for the toronto raptors it was a bounce back game for lowry as the raptors won at 106 100 over milwaukee to seemingly win game two at home for the 99th consecutive series after losing game one at home for the 99th consecutive series. In other action, Chicago took a devastating 2-0 lead on the road against Boston in the 1-8 matchup, and the Clippers 99-91 over Utah in a game that they controlled most of the way. I think though we gotta start with Boston and Chicago because this is uh quite a calamitous event.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about the idea that there was this discussion that the Bulls were the most likely upsetter despite it being a one-eight because of Boston's point differential and everything else. I don't think any of us expected it to be like this, though.
1: No, uh, and this was a, a game, frankly, the Bulls have just looked like a better team than the Boston Celtics. Now, I'm not going to go absolutely, completely crazy here.
0: You're not going to succumb to zip sanity? <laughs>
1: and the Bulls did shoot 18 out of 35 on twos outside the restricted area and then they also won a further 10 out of 25 on three-pointers including Dwayne Wade doing his usual uh playoff transformation on jumpers these last couple of years um but there's also the fact that it just felt like they were getting better shots they got some unlikely contributions their bigs have massively outplayed the Celtics bigs that's where you thought actually the Celtics would have an advantage there Nicole Miritich had a nice game Robin Lopez continues to dominate they got good minutes out of Cristiano Felicio and when Bobby Portis was negative 11 in nine minutes they went with Paul Zipser at the four and he responded with 16 points in 29 minutes on eight field goal attempts uh, he he was fantastic with his jump shot and his defensive versatility so I don't know I mean it's just it's not looking too good Stevens jacked up Isaiah Thomas's minutes and although he played well through three quarters uh, he was completely ineffective in the fourth despite playing the whole fourth quarter um, you know Boston and just looking for answers right now. I mean, where can they go at this
0: point? Well, I wanted to ju- take a quick second to talk about one of the other dynamics. You talked about the big men. Chicago, we wondered about their point guard situation. They have four different bites of the apple effectively. And we thought, you know, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if they can get, you know, cobbled together something. And in this game, Michael Carter-Williams was shaky overall in his very limited minutes. Jerry and Grant got yanked pretty quickly after a couple of different things that irked Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, but he it didn't was matter because-
1: 14 in six yeah. minutes, Grant was, yeah.
0: But all of that didn't matter because Rajon Rondo had another strong game. Really, you could, you could look at it statistically, but just also just from a, a from a effect on the game, just on a, on a basic eye test standpoint, the player who was so inconsistent, especially in the early part of the year, I thought he's looked better defensively than he did particularly early in the year. And, you know, he, you, can, you can talk about the triple double if you want, but I just thought he had a positive impact on the game. And considering that was originally expected to be a black hole for the Bulls, going to that point is a massive. Of upgrade
1: yeah well you can't talk about the triple double because he didn't have when he was one rebound short uh which means he sucked of course uh but 11 points 14 assists nine rebounds four rondo five steals as well which were massive uh, a couple of key ones in the fourth quarter that set, set up a, a run out to jimmy butler and he was five of 11 from the field and he had the ball in his hands enough that it, he had to be guarded and i think really one of the things that the bulls thought was that maybe with you know the erstwhile three alphas rondo wade and butler playing together that if they had Nikola Miritich out there then maybe there would be a, enough spacing for those guys to all operate together and not only Miritich but also Robin Lopez who did have his five offensive rebounds it, I think all of them in the first half uh, but Lopez also was eight of 11 from the field a lot of those mid-rangers and those that's a shot that he is very very proficient at I mean if you ever see him warm up before a game he'll hit nine out of every 10 of those shots you know eight out of every 10 of those shots so he's pretty money on those mid-rangers when he's got time and space and you know really the, the bulls have just I, I think the the biggest surprise to me i know the celtics have struggled to score some i guess it's really been a surprise on both ends frankly i mean i thought the celtics could shut down this bulls team that they wouldn't have enough spacing that hasn't been the case 25 three-point attempts shooting 40 percent is pretty good and then also hitting mid-rangers the way they did and then the celtics uh shot a poor percentage on threes 10 out of 33 uh poor percentage from the line and just couldn't score then in, in the fourth quarter as well until the very end
0: so now i think we should get into the topic that you broached to me before, before before I turned it to Rajon Rondo which is what does Boston do from here because one of the potential answers and it was something they tried late in game one and it didn't work and then in game two I thought it was even more stark was the Bulls did not care that Marcus Smart was on the floor and basically just let him do what he's going to do he ended up six for eleven you know he had an okay game in that way but it just it, it garbled up everything else that Tor- that not Toronto that Boston wanted to do
1: well you can talk about the bench but their bench actually was in the positive uh Thomas sure. uh, was negative 20 he was plus 12 in game one negative 20 in this one and again they lost by 14 so they did okay with with smart at point guard I do agree he was more of an issue off the ball he was 6 of 11 in this game he got to the basket pretty well got some post-ups but you're right that they weren't guarding him and this is another one where they're kind of mucking up and content to let him shoot the the occasional three so that's certainly an issue I mean you can talk about adjustments but Brad Stevens has tried everything he started freaking Tyler Zeller at center because they're getting killed in the offensive glass in the first half they actually shut down the Bulls offensive rebounding in the second half not really much thanks to Zeller I didn't think uh who had one offensive rebound and that was it um but so they tried him he tried going to Jalen Brown early in the first quarter and Brown got beat up had to be taken out of the game two minutes later because he was had some defensive mistakes I think he had a turnover uh so that didn't really work as he tried to find some more guys and he had to go uh Isaiah Thomas 42 minutes Bradley 40 minutes I guess you could play Al Horford more minutes he only played 32 minutes but you know, part of that, I think, was just because the units when he wasn't on the floor were doing well. Jay Crowder, I mean, he played well, 35 minutes. Amir Johnson basically got the Keith Bogans in the first half, never came back in, and then didn't play at all in the second half. So they're looking for some options here. They went to Terry Rozier, who didn't play at all in game one, to play him alongside Smart. And you could say that actually worked. Rozier was plus 11 uh, to get a little bit more ball handling and penetration on the floor with that second unit. Uh, Kelly Alinek had an okay game. Uh, so really, you, know, you can't pinpoint one thing that it's been uh, for the Celtics uh, over this period of time. And Stevens has tried a lot of stuff. It's just uh, he hasn't really been able to find something that's worked.
0: One element that it c- sometimes can be harder to see statistically is that I think Boston's help defense has been very underwhelming in this series. And it also th- has been helped by the Bulls having better spacing than we expected. But they haven't faced as much resistance in the lane as I thought would be kind of a trademark of this series, just that the Bulls would have struggled in that way and then that could fuel some easier transition looks for Boston. That has not materialized really at all
1: one thing I might try is the Bulls bigs have been very good switching up. however that's been on a lot of DHOs that occur right at the three-point line and there's a lot of traffic too a lot of times you know for example the Celtics will like run a guy off a double screen from the corner up to the top right and so there's two guys who are really in help position and then those two guys who just set the screen it's hard they're kind of right next to each other and so it's hard to get a pass to those guys and Thomas has had a little bit of trouble with the Bulls size on it hasn't necessarily been a hard trap but it's been you know the big getting up to the level of the ball I think I might try to simplify things a little bit a little bit less of the off-ball stuff and try to really get Isaiah Thomas screens high pick and roll further out on the floor with the floor spread and really if they want to bring that big up to the level of the ball really make that guy get out there and guard in space I mean as as good as you know Thomas is and you know those bigs have been getting out to the three-point line it always seems like there's too many traffic too many other guys around so maybe just making it a little bit simpler giving him space to work and one of thomas's great skills i mean i know he's been great off the ball this year too but one of his great skills is just his speed in a straight line so if you can get him either going at a big one-on-one with a head of steam where he can stop and pull up in the mid-range just kind of set that screen higher when you when you can that might help get him going a little bit better uh and then i think they really need to try to set up a lot more opportunities in pick and pop for al horford he's just not getting enough shot attempts i thought that his jump shooting would really kill the bulls and so you know i mean i think if you're the celtics run a lot of cool stuff and it gets everyone involved and, and you don't know exactly where things are coming except the bulls really kind of seem to in this series so maybe it's just more a sense uh, which brad stevens doesn't necessarily want to do of let's just use our personnel against their personnel you know we'll get uh isaiah thomas guarded by rajon rondo who whose uh effort defensively has been exemplary in the series compared to uh basically the entire last three or four years um but still, you know, he's uh, 31 years old. Or Jimmy Butler, even, you know, defending way out on the floor is going to be more difficult for him against someone like Thomas. And then you make Robin Lopez uh, defend in space, of uh, pick-and-pop with Al Horford. You know, I think that, for example, the Hawks had a ton of success against Lopez's similarly slow brother, uh, Brooke Lopez, by getting Al Horford pick-and-pop opportunities. And so I think especially when it bogs down in the half court, uh, they should try that as well and, uh, you know, see, see what they can do in that regard but I mean this is a Bulls team with guys like Rondo and Wade who is much more engaged defensively than they had been
0: yeah and something we talked about on the Twitter NBA show second screen which was a lot of fun today was the odds of Boston actually winning this series and I mean it's amazing to think about considering I think the I think both of us okay actually let's let's start here instead of going to the odds because that's kind of a a way to close this segment I and I think you were the same way we were both lower on Boston just in terms of their overall profile but felt I i felt a lot more comfortable with their chances of advancing because of how little I thought of Chicago. And it's turned out that the first part of that analysis was, was more accurate than the second part, which is not the way I expected this to go.
1: Yeah, I mean and there'll be plenty of time for this, but you know, if the Bulls win this series and Boston loses, I mean, what a change that would be for the free agent plans for both of these teams. Can we have an uh, agreement be,
0: that if that happens that we do the we we maybe we do Boston off-season previews twice, but we do one like a short one that night cuz I just think that would be so much fun to just have that discussion right at the time.
1: No, no, I mean, I think usually the schedule is that we try and do it right after the team has been eliminated. I mean, that's when there's going to be the most interest in that, obviously. So, that seems like a good idea. And a few other notes here before we move on. Uh, You know, Paul Zipser at the four was outstanding. Uh, I mean, he's looking like a pretty darn good second round pick right now. I mean, to to have this kind of a contribution in in a playoff game, Uh, the Bulls steals and their 23 points off turnovers were huge. Getting out on the break were huge for the Bulls. That's not something that they really did that much. 12 steals, uh, Rondo and Butler combining for nine. That was huge. They really just made the Celtics look kind of desperate in that fourth quarter. And Avery Bradley even said that like their body language wasn't good. They were forcing it. Rondo was even saying on the court, hey, they're defeated, they've given up, uh, which, you know, is quite self-serving. It must be very satisfying for Rondo as well to go back to Boston Garden, to the team that traded him away, kind of started what he probably views as the decline of his career and to be effective there. So uh, that's been great. And then Rondo made the point in posting interviews, Fred Hoiberg did a great job preparing us and uh, I got nothing to argue with on that. I mean, Fred Hoiberg, you know, I don't want to say that like Stevens has been making a bunch of mistakes, but Stevens has definitely been scrambling. The, The Celtics have been playing like the underdog really in this series and you know fred hoiberg has really had the midas touch so far
0: he absolutely has and one other part of the story from this game which is so different from game one is that in game one chicago absolutely killed boston on the offensive glass and they did have 11 offensive rebounds in this game but boston also had 11 so what had been a big advantage was negated and boston still you know still lost by 14
1: yeah and the bulls winning the turnover battle that's something that the celtics can't have i mean rondo is usually a turnover machine uh and the celtics 16 turnovers bulls 10 uh that's uh and just like dwayne wade was fantastic the bulls hit a lot of hard shots and they hit a lot of hard shots in game one but you know i mean i think another thing that's the celtics were this great clutch team all year and they've gotten waxed in the clutch in the fourth quarter of both of these games to the point where there didn't even end up being a clutch uh frankly uh also jimmy butler has had like three or four emphatic blocks of isaiah thomas at the rim in this series and they, they kind of take on just like a mini version of LeBron blocking Steph Curry in the finals a bunch of times last year to just say hey you know what like I know you had this great season and you're all skilled and you're a great story and stuff but uh, hey I'm way bigger than you and I'm going to block your shot. So last thing I wanted to talk about here this is something that Slater asked us when he was kind enough to join us for the Twitter NBA show today but I wanted us both to expand a little bit. How now with this issue does it look Boston not making any kind of a move whatsoever at the trade deadline to bolster this team and I'm not even talking about you know making a move for butler or paul george putting all their chips in on that i'm talking about you know not even making a smaller move for a big who can play
0: that part is a little bit more irksome to me than the first part because you know the the bigger the bigger story and i don't want to step on your toes because i thought you had a great point on that one on on twitter nba show and if you want to remake it i have no issues with that but considering the price that was given up for taj gibson which was you know cameron payne which yeah chicago really liked cameron payne for some reason. And also Nerlens Noel was a very low price for him. Boston, we focus on their high-end assets and their high-end assets are wonderful. They also have good low-end assets. They could have traded their own first round pick next year. And that probably would have been better than a lot of what was on that, than for, what for Nerlens and a few of the other things. So I think if they could have pulled that off, like a low-end thing, then, then it's kind of the best of both worlds in that way. But you might be right that this was not the time for a bigger move and that they might have actually dodged a bullet by that.
1: Yeah, my thinking was you can make the argument and I know Bontemps has, has said hey they should have made more of a move I mean I think what they really even need is one more guy who can play on the wing and hit some shots you know I mean Marcus Smart trying to play the three I and mean, they're undersized at every position as we talked about uh, on Sunday night show but if they really are at this level where they can't even beat the Bulls in a series and it sure isn't looking great right now on that score if they're really at that level then it's hard to say that hey throwing all our chips in to get Jimmy Butler or Paul George would have gotten us into champion Chip contention that's the only way you make that move especially when you consider that George could leave after next year and so maybe this is a wake-up call that you know this team is overachieved in the regular season but this team was never supposed to be a number one seed type of team you know they're supposed to have these Brooklyn picks they're supposed to tank in 2014 and get Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker and now they're really good through a lot of kind of small moves and great development of, of players you know getting guys like Crotter and Thomas in trade uh, Avery Bradley developing being a good enough team that they could then get al horford to sign with them all that to get to this point but you know this is still maybe not a team that's got the type of talent where we're really one player away uh and learning that lesson might be a, a good idea to say hey you know what we're gonna hold on to these brooklyn picks we're gonna try to get three top five picks in a row add them to a solid team and have a foundation to be a good team for the next 10 years instead of throwing all our chips in and then you know having one or two years where we're quasi contenders but not really huge contenders maybe this is like needed in Information to disabuse any delusions of grandeur for this group which after all only had a 2.5 net rating this year
0: it's also worth mentioning how big a leap it is from the number one seed part isn't that big deal but winning a championship if that is their goal is a big big step from where they were this year and where they were last year and you could argue that the number one pick if they hit on it is enough but they are they were at the precipice i've been talking about this for two years now of having this bad piece of timing where their key pieces now are going to Age out before the young pieces can replace them. And so you can do that if you want to stay consistently relevant. And th- there are teams that define success that way. But if they want to win a championship, doing what they almost did and going after those kind of guys might have actually per- made it a lot harder for that duel to happen.
1: You know, and, it, and it's funny because you see Jalen Brown out there and he, he has the physical ability to be a player who could really help in this series, but he doesn't have the experience yet. He doesn't have the trust level to try and do stuff with the ball in his hands yet uh, from the coaching staff probably for himself even you know if you could give me Jalen Braun two years from now and plug him into this team it looks a whole lot different right but you know got even top three picks take time before they're ready to contribute to winning basketball all right so now what is your feeling on the series what percent chance would you give Boston of somehow turning it around they would need to of course win four of the next five and three of those five games will be in Chicago
0: I think I said 15 percent when we were asked that kind of off the cuff I think I'd have it yeah 15 to 20 percent Chicago So I still fall back on my prior to a a solid degree with them. I mean, they they played incredibly recently and they have shown an innate ability to defy expectations at basically every single turn. So that in this case would probably be losing game three, maybe even game four as well. But they've been the better team for these two games. So I think that you kind of want to rely on all that stuff. And so for me, when you bake all that in, you get around 50 to 20%.
1: Yeah. And frankly, Rondo has been like this good for two months now after he got benched basically was nearly out of the rotate he was out of the rotation for a while was playing backup point guard for a while he got brought in as a starter and he's been playing like this other than the, the time that he missed from this wrist injury which apparently uh is not bothering him despite the fact that they termed it as significant damage i mean you know i don't think robin lopez can continue to play this well you know he does have some limitations and i think you know the celtics need to find a way to start taking advantage of some of the limitations but you know these old older bulls players rondo and wade in particular are playing a lot harder and the bulls young players who have been so maligned muratich portis felicio zipser all those guys were kind of deemed to be pretty much non-entities and those guys have all played well can they all continue to do that i don't know i mean this is obviously a bulls team that has had over the last couple of years some a lot of highs they've beat some very good teams and lost to some bad teams as well but you know i mean it's obviously a must win in game three we'll see what we get for, from the celtics here and you know it's with isaiah he's got to go back to tacoma now obviously to be with his family he's expected to rejoin the team for game 3 and the, there's a little bit of that dynamic as well it just it's going to be very difficult for the Celtics team I and mean, I, I would give them you know maybe a 20% chance just because you know the Bulls are so inconsistent and because you know I think the Celtics can play better especially defensively I think that the the way they've gotten beaten by the, this Bulls team on offense uh you know the Bulls can't continue to shoot this well like on mid-range jumpers like they did so let's uh take it to a commercial break here uh, we are brought to you today by our friends at Hubble contacts i know a lot of people overwear their contacts lenses to save money they are and that's because they're needlessly expensive and it's just like a little piece of plastic right like why does it need to be so expensive it's basically a commodity well contacts are expensive because four companies currently control 97 percent of the market and then of course you get in through your optometrist someone sells it to them there ends up being a huge markup for something that costs like nothing to really to manufacture Uh, you've already got your prescription that's what the actual work is there are you know millions of contacts with all kinds of prescriptions Descriptions made all the time like it's just a piece of plastic it shouldn't cost as much as it does so what if i told you that hubble contacts is changing that you're going to have fresh pair of lenses for every single day thirty dollars a month one dollar a day of course that's half the price of other brands and they are just as good if not better quality than those four companies that control 97 percent of the market as proven by a study at the university of houston optometry school and putting in a fresh pair of contacts every day is really just a great feeling for uh, your tired eyes so uh, if you want to watch the Twitter NBA show and see Danny and I in just absolute perfect clarity, uh, Hubble Contacts is the way to go. I actually ordered them for my girlfriend. It's extremely easy. You put in your prescription and you're done in like 90 seconds. They send it to you. It's pretty incredible. So if you want to get started with them, you can get your first two weeks of lenses for free. Go to HubbleContacts.com, 15 pairs of lenses for free, an unbeatable deal. Give it a shot. Get 20-20 vision for half the price. That's H-U-B-B-L-E-Contacts.com, HubbleContacts.com. All right, let's move on to the other East game here. Milwaukee and Toronto. Uh, Kyle Lowry with a bounce back game. The key story here.
0: Right. I mean, I think you can go with a couple different big takeaways, but one of them is Kyle Lowry having a good game is important for the Raptors. 22 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. One of those threes was early. He only did have five assists and four turnovers, but this game was not typified by, you know, the the starters beasting the starters. I think they were pretty close to, to even during those minutes. And then the Lowry plus bench unit had one one better stretch than the other but the other element to me of this game and i talked about this on the fly and i it has only crystallized with some of the later action was the narrative of this would be very different if a few shots had gone the other way and they were all about the same quality you could argue that the shot takers were different quality but lowry shot was a lot tougher than some of the attempts that milwaukee had in the final minute and all of those went wanting
1: yeah let's talk about that that final minute here it was tied at 100, and as you mentioned, Toronto did their usual, uh, as Bill Simmons would say, clogged toilet uh, late-game offense where they got into actions pretty late in the clock. And, however, they did get two DeMar DeRozan jump shots, one of which he made, which was quite contested uh, by poor Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, he, he missed another one. Uh, their other possession down the stretch was two missed P.J. Tucker free throws after a terrible over the backbreaker foul uh, by Giannis uh, with 56 seconds left down to... Uh, and then, of course, there was that amazing Lowry shot where uh, they ran the clock down uh, up by two, and then he uh, drove and stepped back to his left. And it was as good a contest as you're ever going to get for Malcolm Brogdon. And didn't matter, Lowry drained it a huge shot for him. He usually plays well in these game twos after they lose game ones, of course. And so those were Toronto's four possessions in the last two minutes. And then Milwaukee got a wide open three uh, from Malcolm Brogdon off a, a nice little pick and pop action. Uh, where they miscommunicated. Matthew Delvedova had a wide open three off a great pass from Thon Maker who closed the game. We'll talk more about that. Uh, He couldn't hit that. And then Middleton had to take a really bad three after uh, Giannis got double teamed in the post. Actually, DeRozan had a great closeout. He double teamed Giannis, forced a pass, and then closed out on Middleton. Not something you'll say often about DeMar DeRozan, but we'll give him some credit when he does make a a nice play. So the Bucs clearly had higher expected value on their shots down the end. It's just they didn't go in, you know, make or miss league.
0: It is. And Low- you have to also give credit to some guys are are good shot makers, and Lowry didn't have those go in in the first game, but he certainly did here. And let's go back to Thonmaker, because while it wasn't he wasn't the best player on the floor for Milwaukee, you know, Giannis had a solid game, not nearly as remarkable as game one. But I thought Thon was a, a more consistent positive than I expected. And I mean you think back to those, even though they were plus two in that, but the like the minutes that Toledovich played, the minutes that Spencer Haas played, they were plus two with Hawes negative nine. With Toledovich and Thon Maker deserves deserves the minutes that he got in that second half more so than the basically the Keith Bokens in the first.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, especially when it relates to Haas. Although Haas actually wasn't bad in uh, a Milwaukee stint in which they staged a nice little comeback at, at the end of the half. Uh, but yeah, I think that Thon's spacing was important, although he was only two out of seven and he did have one dunk blocked in spectacular fashion by Serge Ibaka, who actually was awesome. But uh, his spacing was key to them getting some pretty good shots down the end and they're able to get Giannis going to the rim or or Middleton and then kick out a, a lot of times uh so, so that was good and he with some fine pick and roll defense as well uh earned that spot over Greg Monroe Though Monroe was outstanding from a scoring perspective at 18 points on uh in only 22 minutes and, and took only 12 shooting possessions to get his 18 points but he got lit up on defense a little bit uh yeah I think Thon sh- should play more I mean just play uh, play those two guys Maker and Monroe together and and don't bother with Hawes uh one interesting thing here as well the shooting chart for the Bucks and Giannis in particular only 5 of 11 at the rim you never see Giannis do that poorly the the Bucs actually caused him a lot of problems at the rim and then he was a further 0 for 3 in the paint outside of the restricted area and I thought Serge Ibaka was just a massive presence defending the rim. I mean he played 36 minutes was plus 13 the only player on either team in double figures in the plus minus 16 points uh, hit four three-pointers in the second half uh, to help space the floor and he played much of it at center and Serge even had six assists as well I mean you remember when people were like oh you know they just ISO all the time in OKC because uh, Serge you know, you, you can't trust him with the ball well you know he had a great pass along the baseline uh, to set up a dunk at, at one point for Valanchunas in early in the second half like he was really fantastic and making Masai Ujiri look real smart for trading for him
0: one of the other dualities you talked about is defense which was center- to a couple of big moments in this game. But there was a a time, I think it was particularly the Lowry plus bench unit, early in the second and then early in the fourth quarter, where those lineups were actually getting reliably open shots. And in the first quarter, PJ Tucker, I think, missed two threes. Serge Ibaka missed at least one. And then in the second half, that fourth quarter, those basically the same looks went in. And so it it kind of balanced out, but that put Toronto in the place that they kind of should have been been the whole time, which was generating good looks and converting them. And then that helped give them the feel to basically hold on even though the bucks did end up tying the game
1: yeah maker was so important because that defense really for toronto and i apologize for being a bit just it, but i looked this up too. 12 of 25 overall at the rim which is for the bucks they usually like to get to the rim a lot more and then three of 14 in the paint non-restricted area which uh, they made difficult as well so even though the bucks both teams shot nearly 50 percent on threes uh the two-point shooting was not quite there for the bucks and i expect Giannis to bounce back a little bit especially when he has a little bit more space on the floor but yeah I mean it, I thought that Toronto's process was a little bit better you know you're not going to get three out of four three-point shooting from Corey Joseph every game you know that kind of thing uh, oh but
0: there's it, I just thought of something yeah. that we that you talked about the process that we should have talked about early on we focused on it a lot on this winter and base show which was Toronto's strategy to attack Milwaukee's aggressive pick and roll coverage was to short yes. the pick and roll and they generated a lot of really good looks out of that because they created an easier pass and created Opportunities, including some nice run for Jakob Pertl in the first half.
1: Yeah, and that was clearly the strategy we had talked about how Milwaukee was difficult to play against, but you know, there are things that you can do against their traps and, and shorting the pick and roll. Uh, we've talked about that before, but as a refresher, basically what that is is you set a pick and roll a lot of times on one side of the floor and knowing that they're going to trap it, and it's difficult to thread that needle through to the roll guy. So instead, it, they bring a guy up towards the top of the key, you have the passing angle while you're being trapped to him and now you can throw it to the roll guy who's taken off early and, and slip that screen that was the, the one layup that Pertle had for example Monroe uh, was not able to get back into the play fast enough they took advantage of his uh, lack of mobility although of course he's been better this season so yeah and that was something where it was pretty much every time they'd start a pick and roll and, and I really thought that they did a very good job overall trying to reverse the ball quickly and I think Milwaukee kind of started to figure it out a little bit because on a lot of these possessions too the play was all right we'll just run kind of a fake pick and roll here with Lowry on one side and then we'll reverse the ball to DeRozan coming off a screen on the other side and let him attack and so Milwaukee I think started to suss out when you know that was more of a dummy action and didn't trap it as hard uh but you know I thought it was a good adjustment from Toronto in game two and uh, we'll see now whether the Bucks can respond defensively Toronto really struggled to score against them uh you know but it, it wouldn't surprise me if Toronto hasn't kind of figured out this Milwaukee defense a little bit
0: 538 currently has this series is 60 40 for toronto i actually have toronto would have toronto's odds higher than that probably around 70 75
1: yeah i mean i want to see it. i guess toronto won't be at home in the next series uh, no matter what so well unless indiana comes back and wins which they're not going to so uh we won't get to see whether they this year whether they or though unless they play the bulls in the conference finals
0: <laughs> or the uh, wizards
1: uh, or, or the wizards for that matter that's right um uh, but we won't get to see whether their game one drinks uh, applies or not probably for the rest of the year. A few other notes here. You mentioned Teletovic was negative nine. He just has been unplayable defensively. Uh, has looked really bad. And it's tough for Kid because Giannis played 42 minutes in this one. I don't think you want to play him any more than that. They got to get at least something at backup power forward. I mean, maybe you even think about running with Thon as your backup power forward at this point. I think he might be able to give you more uh, with his mobility and shot blocking. And, you know, uh, Teletovic hasn't been able to make a shot either. So maybe, maybe they could try that out a little bit. Um, uh, Patrick Patterson played a lot more which although he wasn't exactly like on fire and he had a foot injury scare that he was able to return from he played 30 minutes he only played 16 in game one and I thought that was very important just to get more spacing on the floor more defense they closed actually with Tucker at the three Patterson at the four and Ibaka at the five and that I thought was a a pretty quality defensive lineup I mean you've got four very good defenders in there uh along with DeRozan who actually you know gave some pretty good effort himself as we noted
0: another contributor for the Raptors which was a surprise considering he wasn't a factor in game one was DeLon Wright I thought DeLon Wright looked good out there he played eight minutes didn't score but had a couple of nice passes and was a, a more capable defender because he's bigger
1: yeah that was good I, Norman Paul did not play at all we speculated that he might play instead Joseph gave them a lot more as we said they also did not really target because Joseph wasn't in the game late you know they didn't have a chance to target him I mean that's another nice thing about going with that bigger lineup as well so yeah I, I thought that Uh, Wright was good you know he had some quick hands it is tough you know they're playing he and Joseph together for a time they're playing Wright and DeRozan together DeRozan had a few more record scratches in this one so did Giannis you know from three-point range but yeah playing Wright is tough because he's just a total non-shooter from three and I think he's a guy who if you're not expecting him to come in he can give you some energy for a short burst but you know if he's on the scouting report he's probably going to grow to be a little bit more ineffective Uh, and also I want to say I was very impressed by PJ Tucker's release from the three-point line he looks to have really uh, gotten better since his phoenix days especially early on in his phoenix career his shot is much faster now he, he can shoot without his feet perfectly set he gets his shot off quickly you know it may not go in all the time but i think the fact that he's just willing to shoot it quickly with confidence requires more of a closeout and then of course you know i thought he was excellent defensively a key part in holding Giannis to that 9 to 24 shoot
0: anything else in this game i think that's about it now let's move
1: on to oh yeah actually i did have one more thing too this game was really just like quite Quite entertaining just in the sense that there are a bunch of runs, you know, it was basically it seemed like the raps would go up 10 and then the Bucks would immediately spawn and get it cl- respond and get it close again. So, the Bucks in this game had runs of 9 0, 11 to 4, 17 5, and the Raptors had runs of 7 0, 18 2, 11 0, and then they closed the game 6 0, uh, although two of those were uh, intentional foul free throws at the end. So, it really it was entertaining. You kept feeling like, all right, you know, the Raptors game two, they're moon away and there has been some research Uh, ben falk talked about this on on his site that you know the team that loses game one at home is just overwhelmingly much more likely to win game two as opposed to the team that wins game one at home than in game two i mean i think there is something to this idea that you're just desperate now in game two and maybe there's some overconfidence after game one as well um but you know there's just it seems like there's a principle here that you know the team that loses a game one is much more likely to win in game two than they would be kind of ordinary um which is an interesting principle to think about sorry boston <laughs> well but how do teams that uh lose the first two games with doing game three? probably not that great actually uh so clippers in utah the first thing that occurred to me in this game to be honest uh which you know is a hard-fought competitive game slow pace at, with utah is that especially with rudy gobert out these are actually two pretty flawed teams uh and i say that because the clippers just don't have enough shooting and you know they can be taken advantage of when they do try to get enough shooting on the the floor uh and then utah of course just doesn't quite have the offensive firepower or now anybody who can really defend at the rim and, and provide much competence also i mean derek favors is playing gamely uh but he was always an inadequate rim protector as a center much better as a power forward certainly but uh you know they need him at center he's their only guy who can do anything on offense at center now and the clippers just completely destroyed them 15 of 17 in the paint in the first half and remember you know the average team shoots about 25 shots in the paint for the game and shoots about 60 percent, so they shot 80 percent and they had way higher volume as well and then for the game 80 percent shooting 27 out of 34 in the restricted area for the Clippers and that's really where they won the game uh because Utah just could not protect the room and it's not like the Clippers were shooting a bunch of threes stretching the floor you know they're helping off in Balamute they had a bunch of bodies in there you know uh and it didn't matter they just kept pounding in and DeAndre Jordan I thought really was uh the most important player for the Clippers tonight.
0: Yeah, for the most part, he was, especially with Chris Paul. He had dealing seven with,
1: dunks in this game.
0: Well, and and especially with Chris Paul missing a lot of time early due to foul trouble, so they needed right. somebody who could basically and DeAndre created their identity, and usually that CP with them. And I, I think my overall take with this game was that it was what I expected Game One to be after Rudy Gobert got out. Right. The Jazz, you know, they had some offensive moments. They had some things. I thought Rodney Hood had a few good moments in this game too, but they couldn't really put it together enough offensively, and then defensively they lost their point of most of greatest resistance and it just so happens that that point of greatest resistance for them was also incredibly potent against the Clippers because due to their lack of spacing they you know they they get a lot of they get opportunities at the rim and without Gobert there the probably the best rim protector in the league it seemed like they were going to be able to to get opportunities there and that's exactly what ended up happening where not only was it DeAndre Jordan with his seven dunks Blake Griffin with a few as Anthony Slater would say vintage moments I would Disagree, but anyway and and then you know but it was other guys too you know Chris Paul had a couple of finishes Luke Richard and Mute had the best layup I think I've ever seen him make it was a, a t- kind of a tough wrong-footed layup and other guys were able to get in there too just because there wasn't as much resistance even if there was personnel you
1: know it's funny because seeing how limited the Clippers are in terms of you know other than just Chris Paul mid-rangers Blake Griffin mid-rangers and then just like you know plowing in into the rim and trying to score if Rudy Gobert were in I think this Clippers team actually would be like in big trouble trying to to score against these guys now you know Redick and Crawford are going to shoot better you know that's that's a component but with Mute playing 38 minutes I realize that he, he's been excellent on Gordon Hayward who struggled to a 5 of 15 uh, shooting night uh, but did get to the foul line a little bit but you know Hayward's still struggling with Mute's ability to get over the screen and bother his shot from behind so but with Mute not having to be guarded and Rudy Gobert in there as well uh I mean I think they it would be really interesting to see what would happen if they just had Gobert guard and Bob Mute at, at some point when he comes back and there does appear to be some optimism that he could make it back by the end if it's a long series although you know whether he'd be in shape what how well he'd play I mean all that is uh you know very very questionable I think they also missed Rudy's vertical spacing and they missed his ability on the offensive class he only had three offensive rebounds which is uh you know really bad for a, when you're playing at a slow pace you got to try well, and, and they they struggled They
0: struggle to score in the paint as well. And that's something Gobert can really help with just because he's such a big, such a good roller that whether he's getting those looks or something else, he just draws attention. He's not the, he's not the gravity player as a role man that DeAndre Jordan is, but he can certainly provide some of that and it helps create openings for everybody else.
1: That's right. I mean, and now you're, because you're not forcing Mute, for example, on the weak side of a pick and roll to have help responsibilities on a Gobert roll, And now you swing it to Hayward and he can get a running start because Mute had to crash down in the lane you don't really have that kind of an element or you don't have jj reddick or jamal crawford trying to come in from the weak side and stop gobert's role so i mean there's a reason gobert is you know probably a top 25 player in the league and while favors has i think been pretty solid offensively he's had some nice finishes inside Uh, he's just not the player that gobert is defensively and he doesn't get up the way gobert does uh, on lobs for pick and rolls either so uh you know i think that game three to me is going to decide the series you know i could very easily see if the clips win game three that you know we're probably going to be done in five or maybe maybe you know a a not as competitive six i mean this one just seemed kind of inevitable And, and we haven't mentioned the name chris paul yet i mean he in the fourth two fourth quarters now he has 19 points very efficient and you know the jazz just had no answers for him they were contesting him but he still was just able to snake the pick and roll and get to his right and shoot that free throw line or elbow jumper fading away to his right every time and just you know he makes it
0: and he's also a zealous defender i thought that he was a, a big point positive positive point at the point of attack and in a lot of those circumstances and then offensively he knows what he's doing he knows how to not only put himself in positions to succeed right around the nail but also for teammates and you know his his threat as a lob you know passer is is incredibly important to the clippers and he was the best player on the floor in that fourth quarter, and he should be because I think he's the best player in this series. I think I had him fourth or fifth in the league, so I certainly should.
1: A few big shots. George Hill had a three-pointer that was wide open in transition off a steal that he missed really badly. That could have cut it to three and maybe it made things a little bit different. uh And then Paul off a switch. His favorite move when he isolated is to in the late clock against a big. Is he'll pick the ball up and as he's picking it up, just take two. Two giant steps, which is legal as you're gathering the ball, either to his left or his right. uh This time he did it to his right, just in the dead corner against Borstia, drained a three, and then Blake Griffin had a huge three as well that basically that put the Clips up nine in the last couple of minutes, uh which was pretty well contested also. uh But yeah, I mean the whole vintage Blake Griffin thing. He had himself a nice game with 24 points in this one, 11 of 21 from the field. But you know he was still being guarded pretty adequately by Joe Johnson. Diaz is another story, but you know vintage Blake Griffin, as it were. Joe Johnson would have no chance against him. He would just go through him and dunk every time. And Blake, you know, doesn't have that level of athleticism anymore. One other thing I thought was really interesting, uh, up until the Jazz fouled intentionally at the very end of the game, the Clippers somehow, despite taking those millions of shots in the paint, shot only six free throws for the whole game. And in particular, there are a bunch of plays for the Jazz. I know Favors, as really their only center, didn't want to get in foul trouble. But, you know, DeAndre Jordan was 0 for 3 from the free throw line, and he had eight dunks. You know, someone needs to follow
0: him in there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you we thought we might see hacka in this game we did not
1: yeah i mean especially when they were down by you know six points nine points and this is a jazz team that i think is uniquely well suited for that because they don't rely on transition at all uh they can get more of their offensive players on the floor too if they're going to be fouling. you know but with down six down nine where they're kind of fluctuating with five minutes left in the game i think you do try to extend it by fine jordan they're used to playing in the late clock anyway against a set defense so it's not as much of a concern for them the fact that you know you're not going to be as good offensively
0: yeah, I think that's when a good point.
1: you're going against a set defense.
0: Wait, I also want to mention, you talked about the shot that Hill missed that was important. Gordon Hayward had at least one shot that could have put the, put the lead yeah, down to as Yeah, he airballed a
1: wide open 3-2. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, so, I mean, I think this is kind of what we expected. And, you know, maybe the hope has got to be for the Jazz that they can get one of these next two in Salt Lake City. I don't see any circumstances in which they can get both of them. But they got to get at least one in Salt Lake City. And then maybe by game five, Rudy Gobert can come back and just give them enough as a presence around the rim that, you know, they can pull a huge upset in game five in uh in la so i think that'll do it for tonight no it will not do it it will not do it
0: there there's one piece <laughs> of news just because i don't think it's important enough that we need to focus it in another piece is that the tiebreakers for the nba draft were today
1: oh yeah no we got to talk about that thank you so oh and, ta- and we got to talk about the kd the kd injury, yeah. injury too yeah God, what, order, right, what order totally do you want to do those? those. well i think the, the kd injury first uh you know i'm sure you just recorded on this on locked on warriors but just out of nowhere, Durant had been kind of futzing with his calf, but you know had a great end of that game one, and then has not practiced the last two days. uh Yesterday was an optional workout day, and today was was a full practice. So he's questionable. Sean Livingston also questionable, as is Matt Barnes uh, for the next game. But Durant, the bigger concern, calf injuries, as we know, can linger.
0: They certainly can, and I I advocated on that podcast for patience with him, just because a game now, if that even was the was the circumstance, is far less. Significant to them than something moving forward, and these injuries have a, a habit sometimes of becoming something larger if you push it a little bit too hard. I think back also to you know Chris Paul's hamstring thing, and there are a couple other calf strains I'm sure you probably have a have memory of some specifically where they pushed a little bit too hard and then it became a bigger thing.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, like Jamal Crawford at the end of, of I think like two seasons ago was, was one example of that, uh where he just kept kind of messing up his calf, and you know, you got to use your calf a bunch of times and it's really i mean i've had a million calf injuries just playing myself and it's really weird to have it because you can kind of move around but you're just every time you jump you're sort of just like all right how high can i jump without making this hurt you know and so you can never quite jump full out and you feel like you could move around but then it's just always in the back of your mind you have to kind of play a little bit more conservatively and um, it would surprise me if they don't hold him out to be honest uh because and then they may make noise about how he's about to play right up until tip-off the, that would be you know kind of what their pattern has been uh, but they just they have plenty of firepower against this Portland team that doesn't have Nurkic uh, they played so incredibly well when KD was out you know still really best uh level of the best team in the league easily I mean you remember they beat San Antonio on the road they beat OKC on the road they beat Houston on the road all of those quite comfortable so I think they feel very confident that they could just win this game too without KD. They got another two days off after this game, either have him come back. But I will say, you know, if, if a calf strain is bad enough that a guy, you know, can't practice, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine where you kind of miss just one game. You don't see that very often. I mean, Mahimi is in that situation too. At least he was able to finish the game. This wasn't so bad that he had to just leave, Um, which is encouraging. So, I mean, I think this is the type of thing where, you know, just sit him out for a game or two, hoping he can come back and, and hope that this isn't something where, he is you know the result of compensation for this knee injury but uh yeah i think he, he's looked good so far and don't ruin it don't look at gift horse in the mouth and just you know sit him uh, unless he's just like feels great but i mean it's hard it's if he couldn't practice today i don't know if it would be possible for it to heal enough in one day for me to say hey you know he should definitely play for sure in, in a game that you know is not meaningless but you know it's kind of mean i mean it, it, i mean it's not meaningless but it can't it can be
0: overcome his absence can be overcome
1: thank you yeah yeah that was i, I put that poorly so what do we got in terms of the lottery ties being broken uh this is always one of your favorites it is and, and thank and you thank you for interrupting me to get to it as i tried to end the show i knew that that was one where you knew you had to speak up because uh i'm sure you were uh foaming at the mouth to get to this particular topic
0: well it wasn't as fun this year because the the lottery the the protections on picks weren't affected by this in in a direct way but it's still interesting so basically in in the lottery how it works is that you combine those teams odds and then really how how the 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 coin flip is important is if neither team jumps into the top three and so the most important of the coin flips was the six seven minnesota was minnesota was originally in seven by themselves but then the new york knicks won against the sixers on the last day of the season and one of the more entertaining twitter nba shows we've ever done and so then that led to it being a coin flip minnesota won the coin flip so now if neither team moves up they get the sixth pick new york gets the seventh pick that is by far the most important one do you want me to run through the other ones or do you want to talk about that one first
1: yeah let's do it i mean there's especially that four-way tie of teams at 51 and 31 i mean that's that's a lot of slots for some right. of these teams
0: so that was the only actual coin flip in the lottery then there were three other big ones or four other big ones outside of that 15 16 portland portland won so portland is will pick 15 and then chicago will pick 16 then the next two picks were also a coin flip milwaukee is 17 indiana is 18 and then the next two picks are also a coin flip that's atlanta and portland so portland won one of those coin flips and lost the second one, but then there's a, a, there was a yeah, big four-way that Portland tie. Portland
1: pick, by the way, from, from Memphis. Correct. Uh, in, and, and originally came from Denver. The Nurkic. Uh, can we call it ill-fated yet, uh, Mason Plumlee trade? Well, it was yeah. not yeah, ill-fated for Portland. They got, they got Portland. the 19th pick. They got the 19th pick. Uh, and actually, that pick ended up being probably more valuable than it looked at the time of the trade, because Memphis really kind of swooned from a record standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they got the 19th pick. 20th And Nurkic for, or sorry, 20th pick and Nurkic for soon-to-be-restricted agent, uh, Mason Paul.
0: So then the last one was a tiebreaker for four teams picking 23 to 26 and the way that ended up shaking out is Toronto won it, so they're picking 23rd. Utah finished second, so they're picking 24th. Orlando is picking 25th and Portland is picking 26th. And the other part that's really interesting about that is Toronto has their own pick because originally you're thinking, oh, it's not that big a difference because if Toronto, you know, maybe they would have the 26th pick because then they gave Orlando the worst of their two Two picks for Serge Ibaka. Now that's a five pick difference or four pick difference. It's twenty seven versus twenty three. That's far different than it was than those who perceived it as being like twenty six versus twenty seven. And I think that might have been a piece of Rob Hennigan's negotiation. I mean, considering everybody knew those picks were going to be close, to just say, "Hey, give us the better one." Would I think? I think that that Orlando would not. I mean, Toronto would not have blanched at that.
1: Yeah, and obviously that Ibaka trade is is looking pretty good. (laughs) You know, it's not like Terrence Ross killed it really for Orlando either and he's he's kind of certainly a tough fit in that starting lineup with uh with fournier so yeah that's a good point and for cleveland i mean they ended up at the back of that group you know that's kind of a big deal for them as well as they try to replenish i mean that getting like you know higher up there uh, in the early 20s could have been really useful for them you know a team that is considered by many the second best in basketball it could have at least been like one nice little benefit of like how crappy their season was from a record standpoint but they really are not getting nearly as much of the benefit of that due to the result of this coin flip
0: oh small correction i i was i flubbed up a little bit myself the the difference between the better and worse picks it's 23 versus 25 not 23 versus 27 so it is it is still a difference but i mean they could have negotiated that anyway
1: yeah no and, and good job there by ujee all right now are we done danny yes <laughs> all right sounds good uh, thanks everyone for listening uh we will not be doing twitter nba show on wednesday due to the warriors home game but we will of course be live tweeting and we will of course also be back with a dunked on wrap-up pretty late at night since we got to go back and actually watch the other games but uh it will be out uh, for the games tomorrow night don't forget about our sponsor today hubble contacts you can get 15 free pairs uh, at hubble contacts by going to hubblecontacts.com touch y'all next time everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich